You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Sometimes the way that God guides feels like the long way, the long way around the sea. So um, I know it feels that way to me many times. I hope that that comforts you too. I'm going to try to move so I can see see all of us here. Um, you know what, Je- Jeff and Sony, could you guys pass that welcome list around as I, as I get talking? Um, if you wouldn't mind signing your name and contact, um, we like to say hi to folks throughout the week when we can. And Sony, I'm really glad that you, um, you mentioned that, that tradition in Europe about gift giving on Three Kings Day. I tried to do that with my kids, like not give them gifts on Christmas one year, but wait till Three Kings Day. They were not happy about that in the United States. It did not work. Um, a pastor once interviewed Mother Teresa. I love Mother Teresa and um, Robin, who's not, I may be on Zoom right now, got me a Mother Teresa book for Christmas. Hey, Luz. Um, Anyway, I read in there that a pastor who interviewed Mother Teresa one time asked her, what's the biggest problem in the world today? And she immediately, without hesitation, she said, the biggest problem in the world today, oh, I can't get that up, Jeff. Yeah, is technology, definitely. Um, She said, the biggest problem in the world today is that we draw the circle of our family too small. We need to draw it larger every day. There are lots of reasons that we do that, right? Like, the world is scary. It's really hard to know who to trust. Sometimes even our own family members uh, don't agree with us about important things, and then that it becomes really hard to stay together. Um, so there are r- really good reasons to kind of draw a, a small little circle, right? The Spirit through Mother Teresa, and I think many, many other people of faith, including you all here, um, inspire me to keep expanding our hearts and opening our eyes for common ground. So that's one thing we're, we're, we're doing here in this new year. Because Epiphany, this, this holiday that Sony was mentioning on, that happened on Friday, January 6th, um, or Three Kings Day, is all about God drawing the, the circle of family larger in the world. The Magi were total strangers, total strangers to Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. They came from another race, culture, religion, and very far away, hundreds and hundreds of miles. And yet God put this star in the sky to connect them to Jesus, and I think to communicate to all of us that this message of God's love cannot be contained to a select few. It's for everyone. It's not exclusive. And we're going to see in our text today how as the message keeps spreading, because it's not exclusive, it is in fact very disruptive, though, to the status quo. 
the loving presence of God is a threat to the selfish and exclusive powers of the world that don't want to change and, and don't want to share their stuff. And these powers react in, in terrible ways when, when they're threatened, as we're going to see in the story today. The messianic age that began when Jesus was born meant that a tumultuous time had begun, a time that we're still in, because God is calling for change. When Jesus, when Jesus was born, it meant, it meant everybody's invited to be transformed. Every, the whole universe is now moving toward restoration and redemption and change. For enemy love and forgiveness, for giving our possessions to the poor, for radical love and care. That's what started to happen when, when the word became flesh in a bigger way. And those who don't, want that to happen or systems that don't want that to happen are going to fight that change they don't want a revolution because you know some feel entitled to their piece of the pie and so a god like jesus is a real irritation to to the empire and to the individualistic status quo because he keeps showing up all vulnerable gently asking for all of us for our hearts and for our whole lives. And so our text today shows the tumultuous and revolutionary nature of epiphany. How messianic times mean movement toward a new world. And, and that means costly resistance from those who don't want transformation. But we're gonna see how God guides and shelters through the chaos and the grief and the loss. How God makes a way through the crisis to have a real life with us. Even sustaining us in dreams and moving into the most ordinary places in our lives in really wonderful ways. So let's read this text here together. Oh, it's kind of really small. Um, I'm going to come and read it, read it to you. How about that? When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream again to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. And so he got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard 
that Archelaus, who was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, where he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. So let's start, let's start from the beginning of the text and kind of look at the story, explore the story together. It says, when they had gone, an angel of, of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. I didn't realize before this week that that phrase means like literally the same night. So picture the, the, the holy family um, you know, receiving those gifts from the Magi, having that like weird and wonderful encounter with these strange people, and um, literally like going to bed that night with their gifts, and Joseph being woke in the middle of that night um, by an angel saying, "You gotta, you gotta leave right now, and you gotta make a hundred plus mile journey through the dangerous desert, um, like right now." <laughs> And Joseph amazingly um, listens. He's a real man of faith in action. You know, we don't ever hear Joseph speaking in scripture. He never says anything um, in the text, according to, to the writers. But we see him taking action in great obedience, time after time. And not obedience to law or tradition or in response to any human being but literally to the voice of God, speaking to him in, you know, in something as wild and, and mysterious and like subjective as a dream. That I just, I just uh, admire, admire him so, so much. Um, and my birthday is actually on the feast of St. Joseph, so he's like a special hero to me. But a lot of uh, painters, painted these moments where Joseph would, would get these four times Joseph got heard from God in dreams and then acted on that revelation. I really like the Rembrandt one because it's so dark. You can barely even see Joseph there. The, the angel has her hand on Joseph's dark shoulder there. Um, and I, I, I like this one because God speaks in the dark. You know, sometimes we get these, these implications about light as good and dark as bad, but it, that's, that's not true. God speaks in the dark. God works in the dark as a, to make a way of escape. In the recesses of our consciousness, hey Mike, where we're open to something beyond rationality, God guides us. The yin the yin of the womb, as Chinese medicine teaches us about yin and yang. Yin is uh, the passive place where we can receive something from God. And, and that's the kind of humble space Joseph is in, at least while he's sleeping. And he acts on what he receives. First, he stays with Mary, you know, because God spoke to him in a dream that this wasn't some illegitimate baby. And like how many men would, would actually believe that? Um, 
And now he gets up in the middle of the night to make this super dangerous journey to a, to a foreign country with a little baby. And he listens, even though he is afraid. And we know that, I love how the scripture tells us several times that Joseph is afraid. We know he's human. We know he gets afraid just like we do. And yet, he, he obeys. God continually tells him in, in dreams, don't be afraid, arise, and I will guide you. So the joy and the wonder at the honor of the Magi's visit and worship gives way to this emergency. The quiet days at Bethlehem are followed by a night of fear and flight. The parents of Jesus are right away experiencing the conflicting joys and sorrows that I think characterize the lives of all those who really associate with Jesus. It's quite a, it's quite a journey, right? In the, in the surprising and disorienting ways that God, God's grace often operates, safety and well-being come to this little family, not in a familiar setting, but in an encounter with the other. So I, I love how refuge is extended to them from outside of conventional boundaries. So Egypt in this text, I think, can also be explored as a metaphor for, the, for a place of unexpected welcome. Maybe you can, you can think of uh, places like this in your life. Um, where you discovered that strangers, maybe even assumed enemies, were, had become a source of true hospitality. If Egypt, the place of former oppression for the Jewish people, if you can remember our, our studies on the Exodus, if that place can now harbor the Holy Family in safety, I think it, I think it opens the question that maybe God can always work outside of our expectations and uh, you know the well-worn paths of our thinking, maybe beyond any road that we might assume to be safe for traveling. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of if we had time. There's a lot of like really cool connections that we could make with the Old Testament stories here because. Because Herod is acting a lot like Pharaoh. Um, Joseph is kind of like the old, the old Joseph in Egypt in a lot of ways in this story. Um, Jesus is kind of like Moses getting like, rescued out of the Nile. So there's so many, there's so many uh, cool connections that, that we could get into. Um, and, and, and I wish we could because they're really meaningful um, in terms of God like always making a way of escape for those who are calling out to him. But Herod, Herod is this really extreme example. I think, I think he might be even worse than Pharaoh. He's this really extreme example of how worldly powers can react to the threat of losing their power. He, he's a guy who out of jealousy uh, killed his uncle he killed three of his sons, um, two high priests. He killed his own wife, one of them, and many others. 
And he even, uh, before he died, he gathered all the, the most beloved leaders in the territories that, that he was in charge of. And he, like, he rounded them up like in a circus area and gave orders for them to be killed right after he died so that there would be the sound of mourning in the land. He didn't want any, he, he, I think he was afraid people would be cheering after he died, so he made sure that people were actually grieving. That's how brutal this guy was. And so when he hears that the Magi didn't come through for him, he, he flies into this murderous rage and orders that all the baby boys two years and under in, in the area need to be killed. It might have been 20 or 50 or 200. Uh, we don't know, but they were babies. And personally, I can't imagine anything worse than losing a child. So I understand a little bit of the words of, of the weeping prophet Jeremiah that, that Matthew repeated here. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. That, that town Ramah that um, Jeremiah mentions is a, a, is a hill town, a Benjamite town, and Benjamin was the youngest son of Rachel back in the Old Testament, and she actually died in childbirth having him. And she was buried at a place where um, when the prophet Jeremiah was being like carted off into Babylonian captivity with, with um, other Jewish people, they walked, they walked past Rachel's grave, and um, and the and the prophet said those words that that she was weeping for her children. She became like a metaphor for weeping, weeping mothers everywhere, and for lost babies. And now all the mothers in this area are weeping for lost sons. And I think there's really no way to clean this story up. It's a, it's a Christmas story, but there's really, uh, you can't leave it out, um, and you can't clean it up. It's just, it's just a really devastating loss. Unfortunately, a kind of loss that I think will continue in the world, um, maybe even particularly in association with Jesus, because the greedy powers of empire do not want things to change. The presence of God in flesh brings the promise of revolution and change. And I think that's why we need to be wary when, when Christianity is popular and it becomes like popularized and like light um, and fits neatly into comfortable and conventional American lives because I don't think it actually, the, the, uh, Jesus actually does that. <laughs> he elicits change and some people and systems of death are gonna lose their minds in efforts to stop this new birth. And their resistance to the life giver is sometimes gonna have devastating consequence. It is, it is terrible and it is scary and I don't think that, that we can deny that. And so I think there must always be room for lament and grief grief work in our life together. Jesus told us to expect trouble in this world. 
And so we must always make space for grief alongside whatever wonderful thing is coming. Um, where there's sorrow, Oscar Wilde wrote, there's holy ground. Where there's sorrow, there's holy ground. Because the tumult not only means that the kingdom of God is inbreaking, but I think our grief, like being real about it, can actually open us up on a soul level to suffer with Jesus. And if our grief can be held and acknowledged in community, I think our broken hearts get a chance to expand as they heal. What has become clear to psychologists recently, though, is how difficult it is for humans to attend to our grief in the absence of community. We really can't, we really can't um, heal alone. Um, carried privately, when we try to just carry our grief privately, sorrow lingers in the soul, pulling us below the surface of life. And I think we see that tendency to carry grief privately, uh, particularly in white spaces. So I think we have a lot to learn from the black church in particular, but from other cultures too, for how to grieve together in ways that are cathartic and that allow us to acknowledge and to hold one another's stories of loss as sacred. So when Herod dies, God comes to Joseph again in a dream and tells him that it's safe to go back home to their home, home country. But he just says, um, if you remember the scripture, the, the angel just says, go, go, go back, um, you can go back to Israel. He doesn't tell him exactly where to go. It's, it's this vague and general instruction. And so they go, but when they get close, they realize that Herod's son is still in power in Bethlehem. And Joseph is afraid. And God comes to him and again, again in a dream and says, you're right, way to trust your instincts. There's wisdom in your fear. And Joseph settles down in a new place, a little town called Nazareth in the district of Galilee. And I think there's something that we can um, learn there about how God works. We may, like Joseph, we may only get like little bits of instruction at a time. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I would love to get like the one year plan for my life or the five year vision. That would be even better. Um, but we often only get direction for one step ahead, like a little light for the next step on our journey. I love how folks in recovery talk about one day at a time. It's like Jesus talking about being given daily bread, not food for a whole year, but, but we get daily bread. And so Joseph only gets the instruction to go back to his home country, but he doesn't know exactly where he's going until he gets there and he gets afraid and he has to go back to God with his questions. That sounds a lot like my life, too. 
I don't, I don't get the one-year plan or the five-year vision, but I do always get the daily bread. Enough light on the path for today. And Joseph trusts God with that incremental guidance that he's been given. And I think it, it might be an invitation for us to accept that incremental way of faith, too. It's a humble way of just listening for the next, for the next step. And so the Holy Family lands in a place that is remarkable in how unremarkable and insignificant it was. Nazareth was like um, the kind of place that gets made fun of, like New Jersey. I, although I love New Jersey, or, or Philly too, kind of has that reputation, you know? Nazareth was even more of a joke for, for like a place for the, uh, the Messiah to come out of. Nazir means branch in Hebrew. So it's, it really is like the town of the little shoot, which is just a film and a prophecy, like Jesus was the shoot coming out of, of Jesse. The obscurity um, is really meaningful because it indicates a humble and rejected Messiah. You know, the prophets speak of Jesus' second coming as like really grand and victorious, like he's gonna come as a prince and conqueror, but his first coming was like a little root out of dry ground. Not desirable, not impressive. And so, when Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the, on the Damascus road and said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, listen to me. And when um, the apostles, Paul too, when, um, when they were like brought into courts and beaten and, and killed for their faith, they were known as Nazarenes. And it was a real like name of contempt it meant that they were hated. <laughs> Nazareth was the butt of jokes and the object of scorn. The people who came from here were thought to be lowbrow, uncultured, and not very smart. And so isn't, isn't that interesting that that's the place that Joseph was led to settle and to raise Jesus? I think the upside to this is that no one would be intimidated to meet a man from Lazarus, from Nazareth. No one would be intimidated. In fact, the name that Jesus gave himself, Son of Man, meant like your everyday guy. He was, he was, he, that, that's who he came to be, everybody's guy. And so the tendency, um, if you met somebody from Nazareth, the, your tendency would be to think of yourself as better than that person from Nazareth. And so if you saw them saying or doing something great, you might be surprised enough to listen uh, because you weren't expecting it. So I love those kinds of surprises and contradictions and, and contrasts with God. And I think it means that we... We can be from Philly where bad things happen and surprisingly reveal a lot of good things too. And I think that is happening. Um, I, I've had a chance in the first part of this year to connect with more uh, neighborhood groups, people of faith, um, 
and faith leaders and communities in Philly and in our neighborhood. And several of them want to explore partnerships with us as a church and as a people. Um, so I want to have another stakeholders meeting with you all on the 22nd. If you could mark your calendars for the 22nd, and I'll, I'll probably text you too, um, so that we can talk about like what, what's next for our congregation, especially if we lose, if we're not in this building anymore. Like, what, who do we want to partner with? Um, what's next for us? I think there's, there's some really exciting partnerships on the horizon that feel to me like a real kingdom of God movement. Um, you know, beyond, expanding beyond the borders of like our, our, our little circle of hope movement of the past. But I've seen a lot of good things happen in Philly among us, to, among us too, already this year. Um, beyond what's coming in the future, um, maybe with others, Jimmy and Allie Sell served dinner here on New Year's Eve. Remember New Year's Eve was like such a rainy, nasty kind of night. Uh, Rebecca was there. Um, I wasn't there, but I heard it was wonderful um, that, that um, we got to have dinner with folks on Snyder Ave on New Year's Eve. And um, a former cellmate of, of some of us sent, sent us $5,000 last Sunday, just, just randomly for the work that we do together, just out of the blue. And my cell collected money for our friend Gigi to get a wig. Um, because the aggressive brain cancer treatment that she's going through is, is taking her hair. And, and our gift turned out to be right on time. And some other members of our community right now are helping another member get out of a really complicated and um, scary situation that involves sex work and drug trafficking. And it's the kind of thing that a lot of people would not... Um, ever want to get involved with because it's risky and confusing. But I love that you are because we can trust our liberating savior to get in there. That, that is the God we follow, the one who gets in, gets in the mess with us, who gets involved and guides through the chaos and through the loss. So I think that one thing we can do in this new year together is to keep listening for God's guidance and maybe even in dreams um, ourselves. I know that God has spoken to me in dreams just a handful of times in my life and I know that some of you, some of you even got here that way. Um, yeah, because I, I'm not going to call you out right now, but I know that that God that God did that, and that's so, that's so cool. So we know that God still works this way. And so maybe in this new year, we can make more room to be open in that kind of semi-conscious space um, where God can speak to us in ways that are deeper than our rational minds might, might um, come up with. Maybe our listening comes through speaking in tongues your own unique prayer language with God. Maybe it's listening to worship music or practicing yoga. 
or moving your body in other ways that help you get beyond the mind and into the heart. Maybe it's opening up this building for interfaith prayer and um, worship and service to the neighborhood in bigger ways. And maybe it's simply going to bed earlier. I love, I really love going to bed as soon as it gets dark. Um, especially when, when you're backpacking, there's like nothing else to do. Especially if you're in an area where you can't make a fire. So as soon as it gets dark, you go in your tent, you go to sleep. It's so wonderful. And I think, I think the same invitation um, might be, I mean, if, if you can afford it, um, God bless those of you who work in the evenings, but if you can afford to, I think the same invitation is here for us, like in, during the winter months of the year. Um, and maybe it could be a space for God to speak to us through rest. There's, there's revelation in rest. Just like Trisha Hersey keeps saying in her nap ministry, there's, and there's revelation in the dark spaces where we can passively receive what we need in order to be able to take action. It might, it might be just enough for that night or for the next day, but God will nourish and direct us, just like that first holy family. So let's pray together. Lord, let us be ready, constantly ready for the reality that as the world gets upended by your goodness, the powers of death will react in fear of losing their power, in fearful ways. I ask that you would make us brave to not shrink back, but to keep changing with you, to keep expanding our family and challenging whatever excludes or lacks love. Help us to own the revolutionary nature of your gospel and to be empowered to stand together and to hold one another and to keep serving you and listening for your guidance. Thank you. Thank you for your guidance and your presence in this new year. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.